Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice about your problems. No, that's not what it says. Rejoice even everything's going wrong. No, that's not what it says. It says rejoice in the Lord. Well, I don't really feel like it. That's why it says rejoice in the Lord always. Today's message has an interesting theme, and it's one that is not necessarily an easy one to hear. Pastor Jim digs into our responses to difficulties in our lives, and what the Bible says our response should be. When we hit a rough patch in the road, we will typically allow a little complaining, a little sulking, and sometimes even worry and stress. This seems to be natural, but unfulfilling. Pastor Jim reminds us today that praising God in these times will bring about a better result, even if it's just in our attitudes. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of Philippians with part one of his message entitled, Joyful Rejoicing. Today and for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the peace of God and the God of peace, and we're going to go through a progression, if you will, in this little mini-series if the beginning of Philippians 4, from our anxiety to our minds to peace. Now, when we're talking about peace, we're not talking about some mellow complacency. We're talking about an active faith that lives and walks in the presence of the Lord Jesus. The title of this message is Joyful Rejoicing, as the Apostle Paul, writing from prison, addresses what we have come to see and will see in the weeks to come an anxiety problem. In the Philippian church, very important, friends, when reading our Bibles, that often the Bible is written to people, much less so than individuals. We tend to individualize our faith as Americans, but this is written to a church. In fact, uh, we'll see in the weeks to come, even just prayer. Other cultures, people pray together much more than we do as Americans. And so it's an anxiety problem in the church and with all of God's people. Now, it might be helpful to read today's verse again and some of the upcoming verses as well as we sort of plot our course for where we're going. Verse 4, our verse for today, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, that verse is on some of your coffee mugs. It's on some of your refrigerators. It's on your dashboards. It's on your calendars. And I'm always suspicious when verses are that common and that popular that maybe, just maybe, we've got it wrong. And I may be stretching it a little for some of you this morning, but I actually think that verse is the toughest verse in the book. I think it's the hardest verse in the book of Philippians. We're going to talk about that more today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, be anxious for Nothing. How about a little something? <laughs> no, be, be anxious for nothing. 
But in everything, how much? Everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And here's the result. If we do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. Verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And he gives us the result. The God of peace will be with you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing. Anxiety is a strange thing, isn't it? It is a very strange, hard-to-control thing. Excessive worry, constantly being overwhelmed, thoughts that seem to race endlessly in our minds, fear of the future, all produce in us a very, very helpless feeling. And as helpless feelings grow and grow, they're incapacitating, aren't they? It's hard to do anything. And the effect on you and the effect on me and the effect on others around us and the effect on our faith is absolutely devastating. Now, sometimes it actually even turns into what we call a panic attack. And what's a panic attack? That's really when our mind is racing so fast that our our bodies really become paralyzed. They don't seem to function. We seem to just stop. It seems like our racing mind and the rest of us is at war. Now, there's many reasons for anxiety, and I don't want to go into those reasons, and I don't want to uh, overtake the advice, perhaps, that your doctor has given you in regards to anxiety. But as committed followers of Jesus Christ, we have to own our part in our own anxiety. Usually when people are anxious or overly concerned or worried, instead of doing what God's word prescribes, they turn inward. Isolation is a very, very common symptom of people who are overwhelmed and anxious. Instead of of looking up to the Lord, or instead of looking outward to his church that God has given us to walk through these things together, it's very easy for us to forget the Lord Jesus Christ and to begin trusting in ourselves. And the Word of God constantly, constantly warns us of the dangers of trusting in ourselves. Trusting in ourselves is the opposite of what? Trusting in God, which is the essence of sin when we trust in ourselves, thinking we know better than God. When we trust in ourselves, we put ourselves in the place of God. And when we put ourselves in the place of God and we excessively allow our minds to race with worry, we start to doubt the loving kindness of God. And when we doubt the loving kindness of God, our hearts grow cold towards God. And while the cross shows us the love of God, we point that out all the time here, and the resurrection points us to the power of God, we still must trust. We still must do what the Lord asks us to do. Now, trusting the Lord doesn't mean that nothing bad will happen. 
I have a good example of that, Jesus, right? <laughs> so, so trusting the Lord doesn't mean that everything will go great all the time, but rather that when things do go poorly, we will have a sense of the presence of the Lord as we move forward in faith. I love the way the Bible writer put it in Proverbs 12, 25. He said, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. It does, doesn't it? If we're constantly full of anxiety, we kind of morph into this depressive, just non-functioning state often. And then the writer says, but a good word makes it glad. And I believe that in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is going to provide us with a good word to help make our hearts glad. Now, getting to the heart and coming to terms with our anxiety takes some time. That's why some people, they go to see a counselor and they go one or two times and they go, it didn't work. <laughs> years and years of dysfunction and you give some counselor you know, 60 to 90 minutes to fix it. But it also takes time to condition ourselves to trust the Lord. It's not something that comes naturally to us. I think when we get overwhelmed, when we get anxious, we naturally tend to sinful ways of dealing with it. Excessive worry. Others of us, excessive work. Others of us withdraw into all kinds of sinful patterns and alcohol and drugs and all different types of ways of escape. But the Bible says there is a more excellent way, a better way, God's way. Will we still be concerned about our problems? Yes. That's... You ever see someone who's just going through crazy stuff like, I'm just trusting the Lord, brother. You're like, you're flaky. <laughs> Your coworkers are like, we should drug test that dude. <laughs> will we still have to work? Of course we will have to work. But the word of God equips us to deal with our anxiety. And here he's addressing a whole church. How to address with a principal problem, we'll talk about this in a bit, that's going on in the Philippian church. The Philippian church, we've said in our, we started off at chapter 1, verse 1, has been dealing with all kinds of pressures from the outside. In, in Houston, the mayor asked for the sermons of the pastors. Sadly, I wasn't even a bit surprised. <laughs> People are like, what do you think about that? I'm like, <laughs> Whatever. Pressures from the outside, pressures from our culture. What does our culture teach us? Just watch commercials. It tells you a lot, right? Live for yourself. You deserve a break today. I think that might have started it all. The setbacks of life, you, you have to take care of them yourself. God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible, by the way. If you don't believe me, please read the Bible cover to cover this week and find it. Here on the inside of the church, there's a problem we saw last week with two women who are having some sort of a division. What's the goal of fights in the church? Does anybody know? It's to get you to quit. That's why. Sometimes people go like, huh, I'm not going back to that church, blah, 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 blah. And the devil's like, victory. <laughs> we won. And that's the goal of so many of the difficulties in our lives. God wants to use them to get us to trust. The other side wants to get us to quit. 
And the devil knows if he can get you to quit church, if he can get you to quit serving the Lord over some little thing, he's got you. And people think this all the time. Well, if I just quit serving the Lord, if I free up an extra two hours in my month, right, my life will be fine. And people are like, well, when you put it that way, it's impossible. Of course it is. Of course it is. And we said last week that it couldn't be a doctrinal issue that these two ladies were arguing with because the Apostle Paul would have just fixed it. He would have just said, you're right, you're wrong, or you're both wrong. And this is the way it is. But rather, this was some sort of a personal disagreement, probably a preference, probably something the way they think church should be done a certain way. Rather than fix it, the Word of God equips us to deal with the problem, equips us to deal with our anxiety. So if you're taking notes, there's four points, but we're only going to get to the first one. (laughs) Two, three, and four, hopefully, will come next week. And I already blew out my Philippian schedule, so now I'm just now I just don't care. If you're if you're a guest, you're thinking, he can't talk for this long on one verse. And the people next to you are going, Oh gosh, I have a roast in the oven. <laughs> Does he know what time the football game starts? So this is point one from next week's sermon on joyful anxiety. <laughs> but for this week, point number one. Rejoice in the Lord. There is a sub-point, so if you want to feel better about it, those people like, like outlines. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice about your problems. No, that's not what it says. Rejoice even everything's going wrong. No, that's not what it says. It says rejoice in the Lord well, I don't really feel like it. That's why he says rejoice in the Lord always. (laughs) He couldn't possibly mean that. Again, I will say rejoice. Hmm, What's he trying to say? A church can only face and affect the world if it is united. If this is your church, we must understand that, that the world needs us to be united. Our children need us to be united. If we have any hope of helping the world, our church must be united. Today you're thinking, uh-oh, what's the problem? Well, I'm going to talk about the problem in a minute, but it's not a unity problem per se. It's just in the Bible, so that's why we talk about it. But unity depends upon solid Consistent, consistent, stable, committed followers of Jesus Christ. It depends upon a group of people who have learned and are continuing to learn to rejoice in the Lord. So what does that mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, it's a call to faith. It is to rejoice in what we know about the Lord what we know about the Lord from the Word of God. Not just what's swimming in our head. A lot of people running around today saying, oh, I have a word from the Lord, and it completely contradicts what the Bible says. No, that's not rejoicing in the Lord. That's rejoicing in your idea. No, this is rejoicing in what we know 
from the word of God about the Lord. Now, rather than some syrupy encouragement, you know, oh, just rejoice in the Lord, brother. You're like, shut up. (laughs) The Apostle Paul is telling us something very, very important here, and don't miss it. That joy is a matter of the will. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. Rejoice in the Lord. It is a matter of the will, not circumstances. Remember last week, chapter 4, verse 1, what did he say? Stand fast. Stand firm in the Lord. And what's one way we do that is by rejoicing in the Lord. Now, let's be honest. I can already feel the pushback, but you don't understand. I know. I don't. Let's be honest, we tend to be prisoners of our circumstances, don't we? They capture us. They strangle us. They don't seem to want to let go. And sadly, most of us can only rejoice when things are going our way. And I wonder, I just wonder, could we bring in a very spiritually discerning person who during the worship time in our church could walk up and down the aisles and actually look at you and tell you what's going on in your life by the way you worship, by the way you rejoice. The church is supposed to be the rejoicing center of the world. The rest of the world is supposed to learn about God and about worshiping God from us. Perhaps more that that's the reason why this is a command Not a suggestion. Not something I just happen to look at on my coffee mug and go, oh yeah, that's nice. Aunt so-and-so gave me that mug for Christmas. She forgot she gave me the same one two years ago. (laughs) Maybe she's dropping a hint. (laughs) Pam and I watched a a movie. We go to bed very early. We're not some wild people. We're in bed by 9.30 on Saturday nights. Sometimes, Sometimes we stay up till 10 if we're really feeling wild. And so... We were watching this, we like those masterpiece theater murder mysteries. And normally I, I wake up with a fire in my belly on what I'm going to preach on on Sunday morning and I can think of nothing else. And yet it was a line from the show we watched last night that was in my heart and my mind. There was a couple in it and they were in college and the boy always wore a crucifix on his, around him and, and always wore Jesus shirts, and he was a committed Roman Catholic. We're not picking on Catholics. We're committing on people who always wear crosses in those shirts everywhere they go. And him and his girlfriend got pregnant. Now, she was not the full-on Christian this fellow claimed to be, and what happened was she went behind his back and had an abortion, and he found out. And he broke up with her because he said to her, you're a murderer, And it was very interesting. Here's a woman who didn't believe. And she said this, isn't it amazing how people pick and choose their level of morality? It was okay for him to sleep with me, but it's not okay for me to terminate the pregnancy. Isn't that interesting? And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we cannot pick and choose, can we? And so here the Lord comes along and says to the church, Rejoice. 
command, not a suggestion, command. Is it possible to rejoice when approximately, and our church is no different than anybody else's, I know a lot of other pastors I talk to, not just Calvary Chapel, other guys, is it possible to rejoice when 75% of the people come late to church service? Is it possible to be that to an unbelieving world? Is it possible to be a beacon light to an unbelieving world when the people of God are coming into church so gloomy? Like, why in the world would I rejoice in this Lord? This is rejoicing. I'd hate to see them sad. Is it possible to be leading the way in the worship of God when we're half asleep? And what kind of example is it setting for our children? We're going through the Proverbs. If you like, I don't like this. I like this sign. If you like it, the sign is clearing teaching. You need to come to Proverbs. And we talked about a verse, two verses from Amos chapter 2 where the Lord said, you know, I raised up prophets in your midst, but you told them not to preach. I raised up Nazarites in your midst, and those are one of the things they didn't drink wine. He goes, but you gave them wine to drink. What is he telling the parents of the children? You brought compromise into your children's life. And how important is it to us? Listen, Paul, you don't understand. You, you, you don't understand. No, I think he does. And I don't think there's anybody. That, why would he tell them to rejoice? Anybody know why? Because they weren't. Because <laughs> they weren't. He knew what he was talking about, and they knew that he knew what he was talking about. We've said that he's in jail awaiting sentencing. But to some of them that were still in the church after the 10-year period, they've been in church about 10 years, some of them said, when they said, well, he couldn't, po-, the new people go, he couldn't possibly rejoice, be rejoicing in jail. Some of them went, oh, yes, he could. Oh, yes, he could. You see, they had seen the power of rejoicing 10 years earlier when the church was founded. If you're taking notes, jot down Acts chapter 16. The apostle Paul and Silas were out preaching. They met Lydia, then they met the demon-possessed girl. She gets saved, and then she's no longer the sideshow for her employers, and they have them arrested. And then they get whipped and beaten and thrown into jail. Now, just picture this for a minute. (laughs) I complain when my back hurts, and these guys get whipped. Somebody took a whip to their backs and whip them for preaching about Jesus. And one of the most convicting verses to me in the Bible is Acts 16.25. And it says this, But at midnight, they're in jail, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I think I would be complaining. I think I would be saying, God, is this what I get? I served you. And it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. And then it says there's an earthquake. And the prison doors opened. 
And a fellow we know as the Philippian jailer was ready to kill himself. You say, why would he do that? In their culture, if you were a prison guard and your prisoner escaped, you got his sentence. So you're guarding a guy who's on death row and he escapes, you get death row. Like, good incentive, forget about the union, good incentive not to let them go. And then the Apostle Paul yells out, don't kill yourself, man, we're here. We're here. Well, thanks for joining us today for this edition of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney, the teaching pastor of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. We want to be sure to tell you that today's message from the book of Philippians and many others are available on CD for a suggested donation of any amount. To get your copy of today's message from Pastor Jim, just call us at Changed by Love at 973-659-3380. The only information you need is the date you heard this program. Again, that number is 973-659-3380. Or send us an email. That address is info at changedbyloveradio.com. And when you call or email us to place your order, please let us know how God is using Changed by Love in your life. It's always a great blessing to hear how God is using the teaching of His Word in your lives. To learn more about Changed by Love, visit changedbyloveradio.com. There you'll find an archive of past messages and a secure option to donate if you would like to help support this ministry. Again, the web address is changedbyloveradio.com. That's changedbyloveradio.com. In the next edition of Changed by Love, Pastor Jim will continue teaching verse by verse through the book of Philippians. That's next time on Changed by Love.